Philippians chapter 1. Last time we concluded with this verse. Verse 6, Philippians 1, verse 6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. And uh, just a a quick review. Um, We saw in Romans 8 that there are really four stages of salvation. There's what we might call pre-salvation. And that is the preparatory work that God does before a person repents and believes. This is when uh, Jesus says in in, uh, John, the uh, the Gospel of John, that, that no one can come unless the Father draws him. This is the work of God's foreknowledge and predestination that he knew before he even invented the universe. He knew who would come to salvation one day. Uh, This is his work, his preparatory work, where the Spirit begins to illuminate the heart so that the heart can see the Word of God and it can respond. It's not like what 1 Corinthians 12 says, the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. and He he cannot understand them, Paul tells us. And, And in order for a person to respond to the gospel, something has to change in here so that what was once foolish is wise and once... What was once blind is now sight, and once was, was, was deaf spiritual ears are now ears that can hear. And uh, that preparatory work of foreknowledge, predestination, uh, and then as Romans 8 said last time, that, that effectual call, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. And those whom he predestined, these he also called. You remember that? And, and that's not... There's two calls in the Bible. You guys understand this, right? The Bible talks about one call, and that's just where the gospel goes out and somebody hears it. Okay, That's one type of call, when a person hears the gospel. But what is spoken of in Romans 8 that we looked at last time is not that sort of general gospel call where someone just hears the message. It is what theologians um, differentiate as an effectual call. And they call it an effectual call because it has an effect, right? Hence the term. Effectual call means that's the moment that the gospel is embraced, when God, as it were, calls a sinner to himself. It's the drawing of the sinner at that moment to repent and believe, and the result is that person responds in repentant faith. So that's the pre-salvation we saw last time. Secondly, we saw conversion. Those whom he called, he also justified, justification. Justification, conversion, that's, that's the moment of salvation. That, that's the point when a person believes and repents in Christ for the first time. Uh, justification, remember, is that great legal de- declaration where God, um, as the judge of the universe, declares the sinner not guilty but righteous because of Christ's finished work on his behalf. Justification is declaring the sinner not guilty but righteous. Romans 8 continues, this is review from last time, uh, those whom he justified, these he also glorified. Glorification. This is what happens at death of a believer or when Christ returns, whichever one comes first. And glorification, of course, is when we go to be with Christ and at that point, 
uh, the, the indwelling sin that remains is removed, and we are given a new body. We are given um, an ability with no sin, with no sorrow in, in the heavenly places. We are given the ability to be like Christ in the totality of our being, with no sin to uh, affect it in a negative way. The one that Paul doesn't mention in Romans 1 is what does life right now look like? This is reviews, not on your notes, but from last time. What does life right now what is what does life look like between conversion and death? Well, it's what the Bible calls sanctification. And sanctification, um, we'll talk about this in a in a few uh, in a few weeks when we get to uh, Philippians chapter two, because Paul is going to talk extensively about it. But sanctification is just that daily walking with Christ where the believer puts off sin and grows in holiness. Or you want it even simpler, it's, it's where he becomes more like Jesus a little more each day. That's sanctification or Christian growth. Okay, now, so in Philippians 1, six, when Paul says, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, he will perfect it until the day of Christ. What was he talking about? Well, we saw last time that um, that good work, that good work that he talks about that, that's going to be perfected um, by context refers to the phrases partakers of grace and participation in the gospel. Remember, remember I gave you sort of that wheel of fellowship last time? Not wheel of fortune, wheel of fellowship. Um, and in the center of the wheel, the, the, the hub of Christian fellowship is the gospel. It, it, it's Christ. It's our union with Christ that allows us to have relationships with each other. It's what binds us together in relationship. And um, what Paul is saying is because we have all partaken of grace, because we are all in Christ, that starts a work. That starts a work. And that, that work continues on. The, and Paul says, because of that, I'm confident that God is going to complete the work of the gospel that he started in each of you. Okay. Um, so by context, that's what perfecting the work refers to. Now, we've talked, we, we've, we've waved our hands at some of this just from last time, but let, let's get very particular. I want to show you three implications of what completing the work or perfecting the work uh, means that there are three implications of this perfecting or completing of the work, and, and I think um, uh, Paul talks about these elsewhere. But uh, let's look at them together. The first is by perfecting the work. If he says, "I'm confident God's going to complete the work," what what he's saying is, you're not going to lose your salvation. Now, follow me on this. We read in Romans eight, those whom he predestined, he also, or those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those who he called, he also justified. Those who he justified, he also glorified. We understand he skipped sanctification. But the point is, if, you're, if this has happened, then this is going to happen. And there's no, there's no possibility that you get off the road and end up in the ditch, and, and this doesn't ever occur. That's why theologians call it the golden chain of salvation, because they're linked together, and the, and the links in the chain cannot be broken. Um, so if Paul says... Uh, writing uh, with the Holy Spirit's help, the very Word of God, 
God will complete the work he started. What he's saying is, you're not going to lose yourself. You, you, you can't lose this as an implication. Okay. Um, the, we saw in Romans 8, 28, 29, we saw that last time. Uh, I mentioned it, but let, let's just back up. Look at John 10, because these are, these are helpful foundational verses. Um, perhaps some of you came uh, from a church background or tradition uh, that taught that you could lose your salvation. Um, if you grew up Roman Catholic, you can lose your salvation. Uh, there are some Protestant denominations that teach that you can lose your salvation. Uh, one, one of the, the doctrinal pillars of our church is that you can't lose your salvation. So, so this is worth talking about because not everybody agrees on this. Uh, look at uh, John chapter 10, and uh, let's look at these verses together. Look at John 10, verses uh, 28 and 29. Actually, let's start in 27 at the beginning of the sentence. My sheep, Jesus says, hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Okay, stop right there. How do you know if you're a true sheep? According to this verse, you follow the shepherd. We've got a whole bunch of people in Hood County, in Granbury, in Texas, in the South, that say, I'm a sheep, but they don't follow the shepherd. Right? That's a problem. They're, they are deceived wannabe sheep. Right? So this, this, is not, this is not rocket surgery, as David Gibson says, right? The sheep hear the voice and follow the shepherd. It's very basic, right? Look at verse 28. And I give them eternal life. I give eternal life to them, and they shall probably not perish. Is that what your verse says? They shall never perish. Do you hear that? If you have eternal life, when does that happen? You get it here. And, and you know, in, in, the, in the way that God looks at the universe, you actually have it here because he predestined it, right? But, but at the moment that we realize it, conversion... He gives us eternal life, and it says they shall never perish. Now, now, just look in your Bible. Do you have any footnotes there? Do you have any marginal readings that says, well, you know, in this case, you might lose it? It's not. He lays it down and says you're not going to lose it. It will never happen. They shall never perish. Watch this. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Not Satan. Not a demon. Not another experience. No one can, I mean, you understand how strong God's hand is? Right? Pretty strong. Verse 29. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. He's got the strongest hand. Who's that guy that, that um, uh, he's on the TV, what's his name? Um, uh, no, 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 not that one. No, no. Th- th- this guy's theology might be better. Um, the the Texas Hammer, the strong arm. Who, who's the strong arm? All right, lawn car. Thank you. Yes, um, the 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 strong arm is no match for. That's right. Okay, my father. Now, now listen to Jesus' logic here. Okay, my father, who has given believers by context, given them to me, he's greater than all. And the logic is, if God is greater than everybody, meaning if he's stronger than everybody, if, if he's the God of the universe and no one can even t- 
touch his power. If he's that strong, then he's able to keep those whom he has called, right? There's no, you know, if there was someone stronger, then you say, well, okay, maybe, but if someone stronger showed up, he could sort of pry him out of your hand, right? God says, no, no, no. He's stronger than all. He's greater than all. And, and Jesus repeats it. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Yes. Quick note on 27. I think yeah. it's interesting. The sheep hear my voice. There's the effectual call. And I know them. There's that. I, I mentioned hmm. it last week. Alistair Begg did half a sermon. Yes. God knowing us. Yes. Walt that implies. Yes. It would be good to go back and listen to. And they follow me. There's the sanctification. There you go. Excellent. Very good. I like that. Very good. It's all right there. It's almost like this whole thing is saying the same thing, right, isn't it? Okay, and, and we've looked at this recently, so we won't go back and talk about this, but um, you, you understand when we say, okay, uh, I don't have a coin, but uh, if I had a coin, you have one, two sides of the coin, right? One side of the coin of salvation says you can't lose your salvation, right? The other side of the coin says that means believers will keep on believing, because if this is a done deal and everybody who's called is justified, everybody who's justified is going to be glorified, and that chain cannot be broken, what that means is if, if, if God is keeping the believer and no one can snatch him out of the Father's hand, what that means is that believer will continue to believe. There, there's not a category in Scripture for somebody who doesn't lose their salvation but rejects Jesus. We just read it here. They, they know, they hear his voice, they follow him, and he knows them, right? Just like what it said. Um, and, and we see the other side of um, what we call eternal security, that you can't lose your salvation. We see the other side of eternal security, which is a believer keeps on believing, or what the Reformers called the perseverance of the saints. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15. You can turn there, just, just listen if you want to. First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word. In other words, if you continue to believe. Um, if, you continue, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. It's possible to believe in vain. Paul says, if you've really believed, if you've really been saved, you will keep on believing. Uh, in Colossians chapter 1, he says something very, very similar. In Colossians chapter 1, the uh, first section there, as he unpacks for us the gospel, uh, he turns the corner here and he says, um, verse 21, And though you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and without reproach if indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel of which you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. So, so if, if, if this is... If, if this is the, the coin of salvation, okay, one side is called eternal security, which means you cannot lose your salvation. The other side of that coin is called the perseverance of the saints. 
And what that means is because God is keeping the believer protected, he keeps that believer believing. And he doesn't reject Christ and go off the deep end. I was, I was teaching um, in our devotional time at home last night, Matthew 13, the, the parable of the sower and the soils. You, you remember the parable? Uh, the sower went out to, to sow some seed, and, and there were four different types of ground that the seed landed on. Do you remember this? Uh, the, the first one was a, a kind of a uh, by the road, and the birds came and ate it up. The second one was a rocky place, so the, the plant initially sh- shoots up because the soil is shallow, but then the sun comes out and it scorches it. The third one grows up amongst the thorns. The thorns choke out the plant. fourth one plants on good soil, grows, produces fruit. Right. Um, first soil. No plant, because the seed never germinates. The seed is stolen, right? And in Jesus' explanation, Satan comes and grabs the word, and and it doesn't produce fruit, because it never had a chance. Three of those soils showed evidence of growth, right? The first one shot up, right, and then was scorched. The the third one uh, shot up and uh, was choked out by the word. Of those four soils... How many of them represent a true believer? One of them. Okay? So if that's true, there are going to be some people, according to Jesus, that look initially like believers, but over time they are shown to not be believers. Does that make sense? Okay? There are some people that, like the plant, initially shoot up in uh, 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 soil number two. They receive it with joy. They're happy about it. And then yet they fall away. Okay. Now, now notice what Jesus said. Jesus is saying, as Jesus explains that parable in Matthew 13, he doesn't say uh, soil number two and soil number three were believers originally and then lost their salvation. He doesn't say that. What he says is they were never truly believers at all. Um, so we have to have a category for people that make a profession of faith, but over time they stop believing, or over time, they don't produce fruit. Um, What we've just learned is that if a person is truly saved, they will continue to believe. Okay. Um, Now, just a a footnote on that, too. Um, Because we live in this culture, we've created a whole theology to explain the person who professed Christ early in their life but does not love Jesus or follow him today. We've created a theology that says, well, they're just not following Jesus right now. But we just read in John 10, the sheep do what? They follow him. So if they're not following, they're not a... They're not a... Not a sheep. Yeah, sure. Now... We're not saying that sometimes, you know, people show more growth than others. We're not saying that sometimes you need to look hard and give people some time to see genuine fruit. We're not saying that. Everybody's different. But here's what we don't want to do. We do not want to create a category for people whom we want to be believers who the Bible says really are not believers. That's very dangerous because if you're convinced that somebody is really a believer when everything in Scripture says they're probably not, you will not evangelize them. You will be continually frustrated by them because you're trying to explain why, why, 
why, why do they say they're a Christian, but they don't live like it? Why do they do that? Answer is, according to Jesus, according to John, they're probably not believers and they need the gospel. They need evangelism. They don't need these calls to, well, you, maybe you need to start following Jesus now. Um, we, 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 we have a problem in our culture because we have so many people here that think they're Christians, but they don't love Jesus. And when we just say, well, that's just okay, they're just not following Christ, we don't, we don't give them the very thing they need, which is the gospel. So we, we, we have to find um, wise ways to challenge a profession of faith that does not result in fruit. Oh, that, that's, what's that? Well, la- last summer, we spent a whole couple of, of parts of the evangelism series addressing that issue. Um, I did a sermon series years ago called Evangelizing the Bible Belt, and that was my effort to try to do that. Um, but, but the long and short of it is, you have to talk to professing believers with the expectation that they love Christ and are following him. I think when we talk to them in such a way that we allow them to profess Christ but not follow him, we, we unintentionally uh, assure them that that's okay. So, so you might say to somebody, um, instead of, are you a Christian? That's really a bad question. Don't, don't do that. That's a worthless question. Um, are you saved? Equally bad. Just don't, don't, don't go there. Um, as you talk to somebody and you find out that they've made a profession of faith, they have an understanding of the gospel, you could say this, um, how is your faith in Christ changing your life today? Okay, So, so you're, 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 you're trying to communicate an expectation that there should be things going on in their life if they're a Christian. Yeah, so that's just a simple way to do that. Yeah, Rich. Well, Yeah, he, Hebrews 6, whenever we talk about losing salvation, inevitably we end up in Hebrews 6. And I think um, not only is that one of the most challenging chapters in all of Scripture to interpret, um, you know, there, there was a principle that the Reformers rediscovered in the 16th century which says Scripture inter- interprets Scripture. You have to interpret Scripture in light of what the Scripture itself says. And if the whole Bible says you can't lose your salvation and then you get to Hebrews 6, which you can read in such a way to think that maybe you can, then you say, well, maybe that's not what it's saying. And when you study it in its context, you see, I, I agree with what you said, that it's not teaching you lose your salvation. Yes? Any of our respected reformers hold to the doctrine Respected reformers. Luther did not. Calvin did not. I don't think Swingley did. Um, I don't think Wesley did, but th- that one I'm not sure about. I don't believe so. no, no, mm-hmm. no. The the, the guys that that, lo- that that believe you can lose your salvation those those are denominations 
that are typically uh, thought of as Arminian in some way. Um, and, and again, not, not all people who hold to the followings of Arminius would say you can lose your salvation. Um, but, but that really came out of Jacobus, Arminius, and his, uh, his doctrines in the second generation of the Reformation. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yep. Lordship salvation. Yeah. Yes. It was. It was. You know, yeah, and and we're going to get to First John here in a minute, but but John in First John is going to, I mean, he 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 lays it down. He puts the cookies on the bottom shelf and says, if you're if you're claiming to be a Christian and you don't do what Jesus says, you don't obey, you're a liar. Any questions? Right, and it's it's that simple. It's you can't separate lordship from his. I agree exactly with that, Sheila. Oh, that's excellent. That's an excellent question. I'm glad you clarified that because I glossed over that. Do you remember what Paul just said in Colossians 1? Okay. It is possible if you don't continue to believe. He, I'll read it to you. Let me, let me read it to you again. Okay. I'm sorry, in 1 Corinthians 15. Let's, let's turn there because this is, uh, we, we have uh, been decelerating and we've now pulled the car over. And we are parked along the side of the road, but we need to have this conversation. So, 1 Corinthians 15. Okay. Um, let, me, let me open, let me prep you for reading this again by saying, not all belief is saving belief. Okay? Not all belief is saving belief. James tells us in James chapter 2 that the demons believe. Right? They're, not all belief is saving belief. Okay? So, so, so listen with that in mind to 1 Corinthians 15. Now I make known to you, verse 1, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, in which also you receive, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word, meaning if you continue to believe, if, if you continue to endure. Okay, If you hold fast the word which I preach to you. Now, now watch this little end clause here, okay? Unless you believed in vain. Okay, so Sheila, go back to your question. Excellent question. We need to have a category in our minds for some people who will believe the gospel but believe in vain. 
What that means is they give assent to it, they may agree to it, they may be able to articulate it, but they, it's not life-transforming so that they love Christ and they follow him until they die. And we have to have a category for believing in vain. And I think, just like you said, Sheila, I think uh, the, the soil number two and soil number three in the parable in Matthew 13 are examples of people who believe in vain. Because uh, the, the soil of the person that shot up initially because the, the soil was shallow and the one who shoots up but the, the thorns choking out, both of those are examples of people who would have agreed with the gospel. They would have said yes, right? And, and they begin to show what looks like growth. But Jesus said they never produce any fruit. So, so, so the, the criteria for whether you're really a Christian or not is the fruit, right? So, so that's an excellent question. We have to have a category for believing in vain. Okay. Yes. Okay. So, in the sanctification part of it, um, there are times when we don't always live like we believe. Yes. Maybe not lifestyle necessary, but the discipline. Right. Kind of two steps forward, one step back. Right. Be mindful of this. Yes. But that doesn't mean you're not a believer. That just means we're still sinners. Correct. Correct. And I and again, excellent, excellent points in question. Um, point two on my notes, we'll get to that, but um, you are amongst friends because we all have jaggered sanctification graphs. Okay, um, What John is going to say in 1 John 2 and 3, and it always stuck in my mind from studying John, 1 John years ago, what, what God is looking for as, as to a genuine believer is the overall pattern of a person's life and that there is progress toward Christ's likeness, but not perfection, which means the graph does look like this, right? And we all have days when, when we live in Romans 7. We do the thing we don't want to do. In fact, we do the very thing we hate. That's normal Christianity, okay? So, so, so answer your question is no, that does not mean if there are some days um, that the graph is jagged that I'm not a Christian. That, that's normal Christianity, Excellent. Two questions. Um, David and then Cheryl. Now that we've pulled to the side of the road and waiting for AAA. Uh, <laughs> well, the car's not broke as far as I know, but it might be. Uh, according to Hebrews 6, 6, it says it is impossible to renew the Right. Yes. Um, do you guys want to talk about Hebrews 6 sometime? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's do that. Uh, Lee, you're filling for me next week. You want to cover that next week? Uh, you want to? <laughs> no, I love Lee too much to do that to him. But um, whenever my whenever my next turn is here, um, we will talk about Hebrews six because uh, I would need an hour to get through the whole thing. So if we hold that till another day. Right. And that's a scary place. 
Yeah, it is a scary thought. Yeah. Well, let me let me clarify something, and then let's let's talk again in just a second. The reason <clears throat> the reason I set this up the way I did is that perseverance is the flip side of eternal security. And eternal security starts with John 10, which says, Cheryl, no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. It doesn't matter if those jags are weeks or months or years. If you are in Christ, he will complete the work he started. Okay. Um, there's a reason why the Bible does not give us freedom to make final determination on the condition of a person's soul. Um, we are called to be fruit inspectors, not heart determiners. Okay? In other words, um, God tells us in 1 Samuel 16 that only God looks on the heart. Only God can see the heart clearly, and that's why he's the one at the end of time to make a final determination on the nature of a person's soul, not us. We're called to inspect the fruit. So if people look at any of us during one of those downward, jagged times, and I appreciate the way both of you have described that, because do you all, you all relate to that just so we make, okay? We all relate to that? Okay. Okay, so we're all friends. We're all, we're all in the same boat. Um, if we were to look, if an outsider were to look at one of those downward, jagged times, they might say, well, I don't know. I, mean, I just don't know if, if there's really fruit there or not. Um, and that's why we don't have the freedom. God doesn't give us the freedom to make final determination because only he sees the whole thing and only he sees the heart. But it, it's, it's not a matter of duration. It's not a matter of how long you go. It, it, it's that is there something in you that fights and says, I hate my sin, I want to honor Christ, I may struggle again and again and again and again, but there's something in me that says, Lord, I need to... How, how, does, how does Romans 7 end? Wretched man that I am, who will save me? If that's the cry of your heart, guess what? You have a Holy Spirit in you. So, so, let, so let, us, let us not be discouraged by those times because that's normal Christianity. It's not how long the jagged things are. It's that if you're in Christ, you're going to come out of it. Um. Correct. Was that confusing to you in that way? In my life, it's been confusing. Okay, yeah. But by coin, in using the two sides of a coin, what I'm saying is there's only one coin. It has two sides. There's only one coin. If, if you can't lose your salvation because God says, you're in my hand, I'm not going to let you go. He is also saying, Christian, I will make sure that you continue to believe and you do not ultimately fall away. Is that, maybe I should have said it like that. Okay, uh, John, do you have a question? Yeah, the fact that the last part of uh, Romans 7, the fact that God knows we're wretched. Yes. Does that remove the guilt? Does that remove the guilt? Yes, for being wretched. Um, because it's recognized. Well, and Paul's calling himself wretched. Um, does it remove the guilt? Do we need to have part two after we talk about David's, talk about guilt? <laughs> Um, the Bible's answer to guilt is in Christ, he removes it. 
The Bible's answer to guilt is, even though we are wretched, he treats us as if we're not, eternally. And someday, he'll actually make us not wretched, completely. That's the resolution to guilt. And we'll have the hour-long version of that sometime. Yes, Bill. Just to close the loop, going back to 1 Corinthians 15, mm-hmm. you know, a good example about unless you believed in vain or didn't even believe at all, but believed the gospel is Dean. They believed that Jesus Christ was right. the answer of the gospel, right. but they sure didn't love God. Right. Yeah, it is. Yeah, the James 2, even the demons believe. Um, and, and think about, um, man, um, who was the... Um, Blanking on his name. Who was the guy in Acts that, that gave assent to the gospel because he wanted the powers of the apostles? What was his name? Simon? There's another example. You know, he's like, yeah, I'm in, but he wanted it for, for the, the, the shock and awe benefits. He didn't want it, you know, because he loved Christ and he needed a savior. There, there are examples of people that believe in vain. Judas believed in vain. He was a disciple and he believed in vain. He walked with Jesus every day and he believed in vain. Um, so yeah, yeah. G- good discussion, guys. This this is good, and um, uh, I guess we'll have to leave the car parked on the side of the road till next week, right? Is that what we have to do? Any other questions? All right. Are you reading Philippians? Yes. I haven't asked you in a couple of weeks, have I? You thought I forgot, didn't you? <laughs>